I'm excited because um, when we have a change of plans like this, uh, that means I get to come up with a new message that I wasn't planning to come up with. And, uh, and, and luckily, I don't do that sometimes the way I feel like the weatherman does where he's throwing the darts. Um, but uh, and so I had an opportunity this week, um, uh, Thursday evening, I was talking with Pastor Mark and I was like, hey, I, I, uh, the weather looks bad. Yeah, weather looks bad. And... Um, <clears throat> And so I was, I was sitting in my, in my chair, I've nicknamed my chair prayer, and that way I'm always in prayer. And, uh, and so uh, I, have a, I have a chair named prayer and uh, call my bed the word. That way, um, where are you at? I'm in the word, brother. I was, I was in the word till like 10 o'clock this morning, praise the Lord. Anyways, I was in my, sit in my chair and, and um and so I just kind of in my heart said, you know, God, what, what would you want me to share this weekend if we, if we end up changing everything? What do you want me to share? And, and immediately I just felt stirred in my heart, something that's really I've been talking about. God's spoken to me, been, been even sharing with our worship leaders. Um, and so I have time to meet with our worship leaders as we're developing our worship culture. And it's so much fun. And, and um, man, I love them. And so we've been talking about some things, but it really came from this, this summer uh, every summer, I take a few weeks off during the summer, kind of like you do. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was terrible, wasn't it? Anyways, um, but, um, but every summer, I take a few weeks off, and it's really not vacation time. One week will be usually a staycation. That's where I try to catch up on stuff around the house. And, and one week, though, I leave town. And um, in fact, I leave the, the, the state and, and to, to go and pray. Julie and I leave and we go away to pray. And, and I, I think it's sometimes you need to get out of town. I think sometimes you need to get out of the state. According to the Bible, there are principalities and powers and rulers. In other words, there's this hierarchy of demonic activity. And if you're like, oh my God, this is weird. It's in your Bible. I didn't make it up. Email God about it, okay? And so, um, but there's this hierarchy of demonic activity. Um, and and uh, sometimes it's good you know how cheers sometimes it's good where everybody goes where everybody knows your name. Yeah, sometimes when you're a pastor, it's good to go where nobody knows your name, right? Um, it, it's 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 good to get away from the demons that seem to have your address and um, <laughs> and get into a place where the, where you're not as well known by the demons. And so, anyways, uh, so I, I'm a big proponent of getting out of town from time to time. And so we got out of town and and just to pray and seek the Lord for several days and and something we do. And I have different times throughout the year where I. I go and I pray and I seek the Lord. I actually have different days of the month, not every month, but, or not every week, but I have tried one day a month to leave everything and just seek the Lord for a day. Uh, because ministry is administration. It's administration of a kingdom and, um, or a government, like the ministry of defense. Well, this is the ministry of the kingdom. And, and sometimes it can get so full with activity that you need to just back up and say, I, I don't want to lose God in all this, right? I think the apostles said the same thing in Acts when they're like, man, we, we got to give ourselves to, to prayer and the word, and there's just so much going on. Let's appoint people. And, and so, so we go away and we pray. And one of the things the Lord spoke to me that I brought back, because it was in the context of worship, um, that God began to speak. And, and he spoke to me, he said, I want you to pursue the presence of, or, or my presence, but the presence of God through worship. I want you to use worship as, as that pipeline to take you to the presence of God. And I know that's what it's, it's for, um, but, but it just all of a sudden became this filter and this focus 
um, with, with us to say, hey, we're going to pursue the presence of God. Now, what does that mean exactly? Um, because we hear a lot about presence, like God is omnipresent, right? What, is, what does that mean? Well, it just, you know, theologically, it's an attribute of God that he is present everywhere. I, personally, I have a problem with that. I say it this way. Um, God, is, God is so vast and so large um, that, that everything happens in the presence of God. Uh, that, to me, that's omnipresent. He's just so big, he's everywhere, you know. Um, but, but then we talk about pursuing the presence, or you might say this way, the manifest presence of God. What's the manifest? Well, that's where God makes himself known. So, so there's this, you know, we can be cognizant of the fact that, that God is everywhere or God is all present. But, but then there's these times where we say, uh-uh, uh, now he's made himself known to me. Like the word presence um, in, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, Hebrew and Greek, means face. And so when we say we're pursuing the, the presence of God, what we're talking about is pursuing a face-to-face encounter with God. And, and so to me, like that's the goalpost for the worship experience. And, and I know some, some pastors may say, well, worship's about preparing people for the word. And, and I totally get that, but um, I can get up and preach without worship. I, I've done it. You know, I can get up and preach while I don't understand the worship because I, I travel and did missions ministry and all types of stuff. So, so I get that. I think that's a, a, it is like a byproduct, if you will. It's kind of a sidebar. That happens. But I don't think that's, I don't think we're in here just worshiping so you can receive the word. I think we're worshiping because we want to come face to face with God. We want to be, encounter him and be changed in his presence. And that's the goalpost, that moment like we had today or all of a sudden you feel like, man, I, I, I am face-to-face with him and nothing else can be seen, right? And this, I love our worship team because they try not to draw attention to themselves. They're just wanting you to see Jesus. And, and I've, I have seen others, <laughs> but I love ours because they're like, it's not about us. It's not about, it's about coming face-to-face with God. That's what we're, we're trying to do. And so when we're talking about pursuing the presence of God, we're talking about this time uh, in the context of worship. We're talking about this time in our worship services we're, we're, we're entering into, you know, here's my fear, my concern. I, I think it's, and I think it happens. I think it's completely possible to enter a building and never enter the presence of God. And I'm afraid people enter church buildings all the time, but never enter in his presence. We enter a church building, but we're thinking about lunch. We're thinking about the kids. We're thinking about the job. We're thinking about the dog. We're thinking about the meeting we had last week. We're thinking about the meeting we're going to have on Monday. We're thinking about what our wife said to us. We're thinking about our, what our husband forgot. And, and, and we enter into a building and we are there, but we are not present. And so even if he is present, we're not present. And I think sometimes we miss the presence of God, not because he's not present, but because we're not present. And so this moment of coming in and saying, no, 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 we're going to, we're stopping and we're going to enter his presence. I'm going to be present with him. We're going to come face to face. And that's really what I want to talk about. When I'm talking about the presence of God, thinking about the presence of God, to me, Exodus 33 is like this phenomenal chapter because it's, all, it's, it's Moses' pursuit of God. It's extraordinary. Um, Exodus is, is kind of this book. To me, it's divided in two parts, kind of. Um, first, the first 18 chapters are the Exodus, which is why it's called Exodus, um, but it's God's people coming out of bondage to Egypt. They're coming out of Egypt. And so this first 18 chapters is the setup. It's the birth of Moses and how God pre- preserves him, uh, even though uh, at the time 
uh, Pharaoh was killing all, all young boys, but, but Moses is put in a basket and sitting in a river and he's raised in Pharaoh's house for 40 years. He's there. And then Moses for 40 years goes out into the wilderness and then he has the burning bush experience and God calls him to lead Israel out. And, and so then he goes and there's all the play, there's him talking to Pharaoh, there's the 10 plagues, there's the Passover, and then there's the Exodus where Israel comes out of bondage. They come out of Egypt and then they cross the Red Sea. And then it shifts. Verse nine, chapters 19 through 40 then become all about presence. Um, it's God coming down on Mount Sinai, which is kind of a, a foreshadowing of Pentecost. But it's God coming down on Mount Sinai. That's presence. He's wanting his people to come up into his presence. And, and they pull back. But Moses goes up the mountain into the presence of God. And then Moses is with God for 40 days on, in his presence. And then God even reveals his plans for this thing called the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenant will be, where God's presence can actually dwell among his people. So the whole thing's about presence. And so when we're talking about the presence of God to me, we look at Exodus 33 because it shows Moses' pursuit of the presence of God. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture, almost the whole chapter. I'm not going to apologize for reading a lot of scripture in church because it's the Bible and we're in church, right? And, and I mean, you wouldn't apologize for continuing to serve me steak. I'm not going to apologize for continuing to, that's why my, my uh, friend Tim Ross, he, he says that, don't apologize for reading scripture to me in church. That's like apologizing for continuing to serve me food. You know what I mean? And so anyways, I'm not gonna apologize, but Exodus 33 verse seven, it says now, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people arose and stood in the entrances of their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, presence, and stay at the entrance, uh, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and worshiped. Yeah, what, what else are you going to do? Uh, each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know um, whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and, and that I've found favor with you. If you're pleased with me, then teach me your ways so I can know and continue and know you and continue to find favor with you. And he says, remember that this nation is your people. I think Moses is like, because this is right after the golden calf. Y'all remember the golden calf where Moses is actually on the mountain with God in the presence of God and the people go nuts because he's gone for 40 days and they're like, Moses is not coming back. What are we going to do? So they get naked and make a golden calf. Because I mean, well, that's the, what else are you going to do, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what you came up with? Anyways, um, the, the, the sad thing to me, the crazy thing to me is they named the calf God. They call it Elohim. It's one of the names of God. And, and to me, this is one of the dangers. When, when we don't pursue encounters with God, we may actually create a God that's not God and name him God. Because we'll create a God that understands our life choices. We'll create a God that understands our desires and preferences. We'll, we'll create a God that understands our orientation. We'll, we'll create a God in the name of grace who does not call us to a standard, who does not call us to change. And then we will worship the God that we're comfortable with. 
that would be a great sermon. I don't have time for that one. So we'll just continue on then. So I think that's why Moses is like, God, these are your people. Like I was fine in the wilderness with my sheep. Remember, I was all by myself and happy. Just me and the sheep and my family and Jethro, right? And Bo and Luke and Daisy, we were all good. Um, I'm sorry, that was Uncle Jesse. Anyways, um, but we were all good. And then you set a bush on fire and here we are. So remember, these are your people. (laughs) Anyways, that just cracks me up. Um, And the Lord replied to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with us or pleased with these people unless you go with us? And what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses is thinking, don't stop there. Ask for more. God's in a good mood. And he says, show me your glory. And the Lord, you know, what if we used favor? I mean, you see what Moses is doing here. Like we want to use God's favor to get ahead in the world. Moses used God's favor to press into God. And he said, I will cause, and he said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll cause my goodness. That's, that's really what glory is. Glory is, is weight. It's, it's what God's known for, substance, right? And, and so it's, it's a little different than presence. Um, and, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But, but glory is like, if you think about what's the glory of Michael Jordan, it's, it's that last minute. It's that last minute shot, right? Um, beats the buzzer, wins the championship. Woohoo, glory, right? What's the glory of Tiger Woods? Man, it's that, it's that putt, right? It's that putt on the 18th green with that fist pump, right? Um, and, and so, uh, by the way, R- Tiger's playing in the Ryder Cup. So for, for those of us who love those things, it's pretty exciting. Anyways, um, uh, but, but, but glory is like, what are you known for? And God's like, here's what I'm known for, being good. I'll let my goodness, goodness pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence and I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you can't see my face for no one can see me and live. And then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock and when my glory passes, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass and then I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to see my back. But my face must, must not be Scene. Let me pray for us. God, we want your presence. And so God, speak to us and stir our hearts toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. I call this message the wonder of FaceTime. The wonder of FaceTime. And, um, I, you know, video conferencing, FaceTime, um, that's, that's an incredible thing. I don't even know how it works, but it's pretty awesome. Um, I, I was introduced to the concept of video conferencing or FaceTime. It was in a, a scientific piece. It was a documentary. It was called Back to the Future. And, and in, that, in that documentary, Needles FaceTimes Marty McFly. Right? See the connection? Marty McFly, Marty Straight. It's in. Needles FaceTimes, and they are talking face-to-face. Even though they're not in the same room, they're in the same room, they're talking face to face. Like there's, there's a sensing that comes from talking on the phone, but then there's a seeing that comes from this, this FaceTime. 
And, and Needles, apparently, you know, as you know, he talks Marty McFly into doing something unscrupulous. And, and then the next video conference call is Marty McFly's boss firing him, bummer. 2015, it's amazing how they could produce that. I mean, that's the year they're, they're in, right, in Back to the Future, and they predict FaceTiming. It's amazing to me they can predict FaceTiming and they can predict the Cubs winning the series. They only missed it by one year, right? Something had to happen in like 103 years or something like that. And, and the Cubs win um, in 2016 when they had them win in 2015. It's incredible to me they're, they're that amazing in their predictions, yet no one in 2015 had a cell phone in Back to the Future. <laughs> and probably because it would taken away from the movie because they wouldn't have been talking to each other, nothing would have happened. They'd all been staring at Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. Biff would have been like, yeah, I'll get you later. I just, yeah, I'll, I'll insta, put you on my Insta story. <laughs> Anyways, um, FaceTime, it's amazing because, because you can go, you, I mean, it's one thing to talk to people on the phone. That's, you get some inflection, but inflection is not the same as like reflection. Inflection is not the same. Sensing is not the same as seeing. It's inflection, but there's impression. It's, it's, it's different. And, and what I see here was Moses is constantly pursuing these face-to-face encounters with God. Um, and so I, I took a look at that. Three things that, that I want to pull out of this part of the text um, is, is, number one, Moses was diligent to pursue the presence of God. I see this diligence. That, that Moses, I mean, you think about it, think about it. Moses, Moses could have been very contented, if you will, with all the miracles he'd seen. Because this man had seen some miracles. I mean, his relationship with God starts with a bush that's burning on fire, but not burning. Like most of us just answered an altar call. You understand what I'm saying? Not Moses. No. He's just minding his own business in the wilderness. And all of a sudden this bush, you know, but it's not burning, but it is burning, but it's not, but it is. And then all of a sudden, like, Moses, you know, that's pretty amazing. And then it goes on to, hey, throw your stick on the ground. It's going to become a snake. And then once it becomes a snake, grab it by the tail. It's going to become a stick. That's pretty cool. Right? Hadn't had that experience with God yet. Like, throw your iPhone on the ground. It becomes a turtle. You know, it's like, that's cool. Um, I haven't had that experience. So (laughs) if you have, email. But anyways, um, but, but, but there are all these miracles then. I mean, it just like, then, then we go to Pharaoh and then, and then there's the plagues, 10 plagues, and there's water turning into blood and the frogs and the locusts and all this stuff and, and, and the Passover. And I mean, there's all these amazing things. And then God delivers Egypt, which, um, you know, didn't even know, it was, Moses didn't even believe it was going to be possible when this whole thing starts. And not only does he deliver Egypt, but he pl- delivered Israel, but he, they plundered Egypt. I mean, they paid them to leave. That's how you know God's involved, right? I mean, when your enemies are like, here, just please leave. You know what I mean? It's, um, and then they come to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea. And they watch the armies of, of Egypt drown. I mean, this is a guy that's seen some miracles. And what's amazing to me is in all the miracles he had seen, he's not in pursuit of another miracle. And I think we should pursue miracles. I think God does miracles. And I think God can't do miracles unless we believe God can do miracles, right? So faith is always important, but that's a different sermon. So I'm not talking about pursuing miracles because I think you should pursue miracles. Okay, does everybody hear me on that? But, but Moses said, you know what? If you have a miracle today, you'll need a miracle tomorrow. But, but if you have revelation today, 
you still have it tomorrow. And so Moses lived from revelation to revelation, even though he saw a miracle. He's like, I don't want to live from miracle to miracle. I want to live from revelation to revelation. I want, to, I want to know God. And so I see this diligence. Um, Exodus 33 verse 7 says that it was Moses' practice to set up this tent of meeting. And so before there was a tabernacle, that Moses created this tent. It was like his prayer closet, and he put it right outside of camp, and he would go meet with God. And so you see this frequency or this diligence to keep meeting with God. I mean, I, I think if you've been a believer for any time, this is not really news to you that we're supposed to seek the face of God, that we're supposed to pursue the presence of God, that we're supposed to try to have these face-to-face encounters with God, that we're supposed to be present with him and he'd be present with us. I, I mean, the Bible is full of this from, from cover to cover. Jeremiah 29, 13 says that, that you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So they were, seek the Lord. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. James says, draw near to God and, and he'll draw near to you. Hebrews said he's a rewarder of those who diligently search or seek for him. And so, and so we know, just like Moses knew, we know we're supposed to seek God. We're supposed to pursue God. We were created for face-to-face encounters with God. We know that. And so we see Moses' diligence and it is, it is encouraging to us. Uh, it is an example to us. But I started to say, okay, if I just tell people, you should seek God, that sounds like law and law always kills. And so I thought, we gotta go deeper. We gotta go deeper. Like, why was he so diligent to seek the Lord? And I came to the second, the second word, desire. Desire, because here's what I see in verse 13, Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses says this, let me know your ways so I can understand you more fully. And all of a sudden you see, oh man, Moses, his heart burned to know God. His heart yearned. He had this desire. What was driving that diligence to meet with God and that frequency to meet with God? It was this desire that, God, your miracles are good, but, but while I can see your power, I, I want to know who you are. I, it's one thing to see your power. I want to know your person. And so I, I want to know who you are. And so Moses' diligence was fueled by this desire to know God, it was his greatest quest. And honestly, there again, we're back to this place, should be our greatest desire. John 17, verse three says, this is life. Like, here's the end game. This is life that you would know God and Jesus who he has sent. Like, this is the end game. If you're wondering what we're here for, um, we're actually not here. If you think about it, we're, we're not on a quest to get to heaven. We're actually on a quest to know God. And I think sometimes in well-meaning churches and well-meaning pastors and well-meaning sermons and well-meaning books, I think some people kind of get that, that confused. And we start telling people, hey, this is just about getting to heaven. Earth is really what this is, is a terminal and we're waiting on the flight to heaven. Just make sure you got your boarding pass, get a comfortable seat, watch the news, maybe grab a coffee because that's what this is about. And if that's what you think, you're going to be sorely disappointed when you get to heaven to find out that everything you did after you got your boarding pass, everything you did on this earth, that this wasn't actually a terminal as much as it was a training ground to learn to rule and reign with Jesus. We start that today. 
And that truthfully, what this whole thing is about is about a God who had a spiritual kingdom and he wanted to see a physical planet replicate or, or reflect his spiritual kingdom. And so he makes a planet, puts a man and says, take dominion, subdue until earth looks like heaven. And then sin came and so it created this dissonance where it was no longer congruent, no longer parallel. And so now there's things in earth that don't reflect heaven, but there are still some things on earth that do reflect heaven. And so then God is still calling man, sending Jesus. And he's telling us, hey, hey, this isn't the terminal. This is the training ground. And so I want you now to go and preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast. What's he saying? I want you to restore order. I want you to bring these two things back into alignment. I want to see some congruence between earth and heaven because the end comes with Jesus coming down with his kingdom. And this earth will look just like heaven because when you're God, you always get plan A. You don't need plan B. Right? And, and, so, and so I see this desire for Moses to say, man, there is, there, this is not a quest to get to heaven. This is a quest. This is a quest to know, to know God. Right? I, I think even Paul said this. He said, that I may know him. And then Paul's radical, right? He's radical. This is Philippians 3. In the, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And then watch this. In the fellowship of his suffering. That's crazy. No one's praying the second part of that scripture, Paul. But, but listen to what Paul, you got to think about it. Paul is in prison, in chains, going to be executed. And here's what Paul says. This is about knowing God. And there's times you know him in the power of his resurrection, like when Paul worked miracles and saw healings and, and when he had his own Damascus Road encounter. There's times you know Jesus in the power of resurrection. resurrection. But there are times that you know Jesus in the fellowship of suffering. In fact, Paul would tell you this, once you get to heaven, there is no suffering. And so there is a revelation and an understanding and a knowing of God that can only come in this earth when we fellowship in suffering. And so Paul said, go ahead, put the chains on me. I'll just know Jesus in a way I could never know him. Go ahead, beat me with that pole. I'll just know Jesus in a way that I would never know him before. Go ahead, lock me in the dungeon with Silas. We'll just have a worship service and know Jesus in a way. Go ahead, you, you want to you kill me? That's okay. I'll know Jesus in the way of martyrdom. I'll know him in the fellowship. I will fellowship with him in suffering. But Paul said, this whole thing, you know what this whole thing is about? Knowing God. And so that's what I see with, with Moses is this desire to know God. But then, but then I want to go a little bit deeper. You want to go a little bit deeper? Okay, so, so there's this diligence. That's the activity. There's this desire. That's the passion. It's the heart. But then there's this other thing that's the driver and the motivation. It's desperation. Desperation, diligence, <laughs> desire, desperation. I think Moses realized that without God, all is lost. Same thing Paul said, Ephesians 2. Without God, there is no hope. You were without God, you were without hope. That's what he tells the Ephesians. I think Moses realizes that because if you look at verse 14, 15, and 16, to me, it's almost like these three things that Moses, it reveals how desperate he is in these three areas because verse, verse 14 says, um, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's God talking. But what is being revealed is what Moses knew because Moses said, hey, I'm not leaving without you, right? That's, that, that would be desperation, right? Like, hey, you don't move, I don't move. 
And, and, and God says, my presence go with you and I will give you rest. Rest is talking about the promise of God because this is where God is renewing his covenant to Israel and taking them to the promised land. And, and here's what Moses realizes. Without presence, there's no way into the promise. Without presence, there's no, anything that God offers, anything that God has promised, anything God has set before you, there, there's only one thing that gives you access to promise and that's presence. And Moses said, if we don't have your presence, we don't have your promise. And God, I want your promise. I, I want what you provide. I, I want you, I, I want to see what, what you have spoken, but there is no way to get to the, listen, how would we live if we took everything we felt like God had promises and said, there is no way to get to that promise without his presence. How important would his presence be at that point? The second thing that I see is in verse 15, he says, if your presence doesn't go, don't send us. And here's what Moses said. We're completely lost without your presence. We can't even find our way without your presence, right? Because Moses had, had been enjoying, you know, God's, you know, ways app. So he had this pillar of fire and this cloud by day. And Moses is like, the presence is just leading us. And now he's like, hey, if your presence isn't going to lead us, there's no way to find it. Like we are completely lost without your presence, how would our lives look if we said, you know what? I can't do my marriage without your presence. I can't, I can't raise my kids without your presence. I, I can't do my job without your presence. Like I am completely void of direction without your presence. And God, if you don't guide me, I don't know how to do this earth. And if you don't guide me, I don't know how to lead this family. If you don't guide me, I don't know how to do my job. If you don't guide me, God, there is no chance of me getting there. I am lost without you. And then you go one more, verse 16. It says, hey, God, without your presence, what's gonna distinguish us from all the other people on the earth? In other words, here's what he said. Hey, God, without your presence, we can't even be us. No wonder he was desperate because here's what he said. Hey, God, without your presence, I can't be Moses. Like your presence is what gives me identity and purpose right? Your identity is what, your, your, your presence is what sets me apart and makes me yours. And without your presence, I am, I'm just lost as everyone else. And so he says, I need your presence so I can be who I am supposed to be. I need your presence because I can't get to where I'm supposed to go without it. And I need your presence because everything you promised is in your presence. Like there is no hope without your presence. No wonder he was so, so desperate for the presence of God. He's, Acts 17, 28 says this, in, in him, in Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. What does that mean? Outside of him, we do not live and we do not move and we do not have our being. Desperate for his presence. So this is this amazing encounter. There are two types of people, by the way. Um, there are people who are desperate for the presence of God. And there are people who don't know that they should be desperate for the presence of God. It's two kinds of people. And Moses, he was desperate. In fact, so here we have Moses. And it gets a little confusing at this point because Moses meets with God face to face. The Bible says, like a man with a friend. And then Moses, like God's like, hey, I'm with you. I'm going. Moses is like, praise God. Show me your glory. Like, do you see that that desperation and, and that, that desire and that diligence, like, God, if I got your attention, show me more. <laughs> Bring it. And, 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 and 
And then God says, well, I'd love to, but, but, but there's a side effect. Just one, death. And, <laughs> and it gets a little bit confusing, it, it, a little confusing because, um, because we just read where it said Moses meets with God face to face as a man with a friend, and now God's like, you can't see my face and live. So what's going on? Well, uh, let me give you this word, anthropomorphism. Okay, that's anthropomorphism, um, uh, anthropomorphic. Um, that, that, that is a word that, that an anthropomorphic term is where we give God an attribute, kind of humanity, in order to, to gain an understanding. Um, so when it says that God meets with, with um, Moses face to face, it's almost like a simile like, like or as. In other words, the Holy Spirit is trying to, to get us to understand the relationship that Moses had with, with God, right? That I, I meet with him face to face. It wasn't really his face, anthropomorphic term. It, it was like his face. It, it, was, it was as close as you could get kind of thing. It was that understanding, right? I mean, this is not how God met with everybody. Can we agree? Like, I mean, let's ask Ezekiel. Ezekiel, you ever met with God? Oh man, I met with God. What was that like? Well, dude, it was like a wheel within a wheel and there were these four faces and it's kind of flying around. Thank you, Ezekiel. God bless you. Get out of the communion line, brother. And so God met with Moses in a way that, that, that he didn't meet with everybody else. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit's trying to get us to understand that. So he's using these anthropomorphic terms to, to, to help us understand the closeness that they had, but it wasn't his real, it wasn't God's actual face. It was just his tangible presence. And so Moses knew that and he's like, there's gotta be more. So when God's like, I'm with you, he's like, great, show me your glory. And God's like, well, um, I would, but he'd kill you. And then God's like, but, but here's what I could do. Ironically, where we're meeting, there's this big crack in the rock. There's this crevice, you know, I don't know, like somebody put it there on purpose. And so what I can do is another anthropomorphic term is I'll put my hand over you and I'll pass by, proclaim who I am, and then I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to see the back of me. I can't give you exactly what you want. I can't, you can't come face to face, but I can show you where I've been. Interesting enough, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Now, Adam is 2,500 years before Moses. But Moses is the one who penned in the beginning. God created. Why is that? Because I think when God walked by and said, I'm God, I am merciful, I'm compassionate, and he pulls his hand back, and Moses is able to see everywhere God has been in a moment. Moses saw the glory of God over creation and all of a sudden he's like, in the beginning, God created the heaven. Because the more of him I see, the more of him I know. The more of him I see, the more of him I know. Why do I want to come face to face with God? Because it's the only way to know him more. The more of him I see, the more of him I know. Now what's crazy is Moses wanted an encounter with God that he couldn't have. What's even crazier is the encounter Moses couldn't have with God has actually been offered to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. In chapter 3, the writer, being Paul, writing to the church of Corinth is actually comparing the difference between law and grace and old covenant and new covenant. 
And what he's saying is the old covenant law, that would be Moses. So he's saying some things weren't available that are now available, namely FaceTime and God. Because he says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, now this is new covenant, the veil is taken away. What's the veil? Well, well, um, two things. There was a veil over Moses' face to, to shine because when he came down from the mountain, he's like glowing, like he radioactive. Like that's where the song comes from. And so, and so, um, <laughs> and so he put a veil over his face, but, but there was a veil also that separated the presence of God from people in, in the holy place of God. There was this curtain is like six or eight inches th- thick, I think. Um, and, and it was this big curtain that separated the, the room where God's presence was from the people, where the ark was, where the presence was from the people, right? And the moment Jesus dies, the Bible says there's an earthquake and the veil is ripped. And what does that mean? Why did God tear the veil like that? Because here's what God said now, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you have unlimited access to my presence. In other words, now, just like Hebrews said, you can come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy. In other words, you can come boldly when you're screwed up to the throne room of grace. You have unlimited act. You're not going to be put to death because of your sin, because all of your sin was placed on Jesus. And so now you have unhindered and unlimited access. As screwed up as you are and as messed up as you are, you can come right into the presence of God and receive mercy because Jesus and his grace has covered you. You have unhindered presence. But then he said, also, God said, but now I also have complete access to you. You have complete access to me, but I have complete access to you because Paul says, now you're the temple. And God said, not only can you come into my presence, I can fill you with my presence. And so we have been invited into these encounters, this, this FaceTime. And so it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 18. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, it says the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You can underline freedom there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can underline in, throw it away, get one. And, and then verse 18, so all of us who have had uh, the veil removed can see, you could underline see, and reflect, you could underline reflect, the glory of the Lord. So now he's saying, hey, we've been invited into face-to-face encounters with God's glory. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed. You can underline change. I'm going to come back to all four of those words. Into his glorious image. Here's what he's saying. In Jesus, you have been invited to FaceTime. Like it's one thing to talk to God, to, to, to sense him, to sense his voice, but now you can see him. I love this because we get a picture of Jesus being the fulfillment of this because remember, remember Moses said, God, I want to see your glory on the earth. You remember that we were just talking about? I want to see your face. Remember that? And then Moses goes on to heaven, right? But then Mark chapter nine comes. And, and in Mark chapter nine, God, holy imagination here, God goes to Moses and he's like, hey, remember how you asked me that time to, to see my glory on the earth? See my face? And Moses is like, yeah. He's like, would, would you like to do that? And he's like, I'd love to. Well, you should go down because Jesus is about to do something really cool. And, and he's like, well, I can't do the thing the angels do. And God's like, totally cool. I'll get you a chariot. <laughs> and then actually, Mark chapter 9, verse 2, it says this. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led him up a high mountain where they were alone. And there he was transfigured before him, his clothes dazzling white. I wonder how white. Well, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Thank you, Ryder, for making that very clear. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, John Mark. We really need to know. Like, Mr. Clean and Tide can't, can't do, Clorox got nothing. 
on this business here. And so whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them. Thank you. All right. They were white. And um, <laughs> but watch this verse four. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus face to face. Hebrews 1 tells us Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the face of the glory of God. And so here's what God said. Hey, Moses, you couldn't do it then, but now Jesus, he's, he's doing work down there. And if you want to see my face on the earth, the fullness, the expression of my glory, I'll get you a chariot to the mountain because Jesus is about to do something cool. And now here's the crazy thing, according to Paul. This is the thing that, that we've been invited into, to meet with God. We have this invitation to FaceTime God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have an invitation. To me, this is what the worship experience should be focused on. I'm not saying God can't do other things, and I want to be dogmatic about it, but, but this is such a word in my heart in this season for our church and, and for our worship team and that, that we're like, hey, we, we want to come. Like that, that first 25 minutes, I'm not trying to be in any way disrespectful or certainly don't want to be ugly, but I mean, there's ways to use that 25 minutes. Like you could use it as a buffer to be late and, and make sure you're here for the message. You, you could use it to drink coffee. You, you, could, you could use it to, to get your preparations and plans made for, the, or you could come in and set all that aside and say, no, we're going to be there for 25 minutes. We're going after the presence of God. We're going to enter the presence of God. We're going to meet with him face to face. Like God has given us an, an invitation through Jesus to meet face to face. Because here's what I think happens when we meet Jesus face to face is these four words that I underline. Number one, number one, when I come into a worship service and pursue his presence and see him face to face, here's number one, I can see God more clearly. I can see God clearly that, that now he's not, he's not veiled by the law. That's, that's really what Paul's talking about. He's no longer veiled by the law. Like it, now I've got the expression of Jesus, the radiance of his glory. I can see God face to face. I don't have to wonder who he is. I can, I can see him. I can see the expression. I can see the smile. I can see the wrinkles in his eyes. I, you know, I, I can see him face to face. So this invitation to FaceTime is like because of Jesus now, I can see God more clearly. The veil is removed. Here's the second thing. I can experience freedom more fully. I can experience freedom more fully. And to me, freedom is kind of in two parts, free from and free to. I'm free from the law. I'm free from sin. I'm free from death. I'm free from the curse. I'm free from those things, but I'm also free to be. I'm free to step into God's presence. I'm free to be who God created me to be. I'm free from, but I'm free to. I've been delivered from, but now I can press in, right? I was in bondage and now I'm out of bondage, but it's not enough to be out of bondage. I want to be in his presence so I can go from out of bondage to in his presence. Are you with me? I am free from, but I'm also free to. I can experience freedom fully. Here's, I can reflect God openly. I can reflect God. Now others can see God's presence on me. Others can see God's presence. In other words, I can leave this worship experience having met with God face to face and expect my face to glow a little bit. Because others can see God's love and they can see God's care and concern and compassion and they can see God's joy and peace on me. They can see something. Like if you've met with Jesus, people will see something different on you. In fact, Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 2.9. He said, we're, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And he said, and as a result of this, look at what he said. He said, we can show others the goodness, what? the glory. Remember, show me your glory. I'll let my goodness. 
We can show others the glory of God. How do we show it? It's the glory in when we serve. It's the glory in when we forgive. It's the glory in when we love. It's the glory in when we pray. It's, it's the glory, right? In, in the way we love and, sh- and it's glory when we have peace under fire, right? It's glory when we have joy when we should be mourning. It's glory to see God work in our lives and others get to, we get to reflect the glory of God. And then the last one is I can be transformed completely. As worship to me, I can see God. I come into worship to see God. I come into worship to experience freedom. I come into worship because I want to reflect God. I come into worship because I want to be transformed. The word is change. We underline change. The word really would be transformed. In fact, the real word would be transfigured. It's the same thing. It's the, the, the closest comparison to this word is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where, where all of a sudden they got to see Jesus in the fullness of who he was. What this says is when I'm in the presence of God, I get to be me in the fullness of who I am. That I, This invitation to FaceTime means I get to be me more fully and more completely than ever before. To me, this is what we're pursuing when we're pursuing worship. When we're pursuing face-to-face encounters with God, God's gonna make himself known. And when he makes himself known, we're gonna see him more clearly. And when he makes himself known, we're gonna be more free than we've ever been. And when he makes himself known, we're gonna go out from here and reflect the glory of God in every day, how we live and how we serve and how we give, right? And, and, and then we're gonna be transformed and transfigured so that we are more fully us than we've ever been before. This to me is what worship is about on the weekends to say, I'm not just going into a building. I'm not just hanging out with some cool people, but I'm going into the presence of God because I have been invited to FaceTime him, to stand face to face with God. And when I do that, I'm going to see him, right? And I'm going to be free and I'm going to be transformed and I'm going to reflect the glory of God when I leave there. I'm not just going to sing songs. I'm going to see my Savior. Man. That's what I want worship to be at Pathway. At least for this season, that's what I want us to do. I want us to come in and step into with everything the presence of God. To see him, to experience freedom, to reflect him, to be transformed. That's what I want, right? Because here's what I know. We're desperate without him. Without him, we can't be us. Without him, we can't find our way. And without him, we can't step into any promise. We're desperate for him. Amen. Come on, can you give him praise one more time? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. God is awesome. Why don't you stand?